Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. I'm Brad Brown. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks to, to the MoneyWeb team. They're back again tomorrow. Coming up on this evening's show, we'll touch base with Professor Ross Tucker. Uh, we'll be talking home ground advantage ahead of this weekend's Super Rugby final, but I'll also uh, touch on the RWF World Championships that get underway in London this weekend. And then we'll chat to Alan Donald, former Protea fast bowler, who has joined uh, the Bloemfontein franchise of the Global T20 League uh, as their bowling coach. We'll be chatting all things cricket on it this evening's show as well. But let's start with some rugby news. It was confirmed today that the Toyota Cheetahs and the Southern Kings are the newest members of the New Look Pro 14 tournament, which gets underway in five weeks' time. Uh, the championship will adopt a two-conference, seven-team format, which allows the new teams to be added without extra rounds. The two South African franchises will play a schedule of 21 matches. Uh, it starts next month with a uh, final scheduled for the 26th of May next year. It was also announced today that Raymond Rule is going to be leaving the Cheetahs to join Western Province and the Stormers at the end of the current Curry Cup campaign. And Yaku Paper was announced today as the referee of Saturday's final between the Lions and the Crusaders. He'll be assisted on the Lions by Glenn Jackson and Marius van der Vestesen. Marius Jonker is the TMO. In some football news, uh, Sundowns uh, have signed Ghanaian goalkeeper Razak Brima on a three-year deal, while Chip United have signed Abel Mabaso, uh, who was let go by Ajax Cape Town at the end of last season on a two-year deal. In international football news, Sevilla have confirmed that they've signed uh, Jesus Navas. Their winger returns to the club uh, after spending four years at Manchester City. In some tennis news, uh, will number or U, number one U.S. player John Isner has withdrawn from the current City Open that's taking place in Washington due to a knee injury. Join YouTube blogger David Cow in this hilarious comedy talk show where he interviews South African personalities in a bid to get their buy-in for his next big project, a feature film. But life would be so much simpler if only his dysfunctional family let him work in peace whenever a celeb pops by. It's okay, we're family. We'll be coming to you Fridays at 7.30pm from the 7th of July. SABC3, the stage is yours. Few things make us powerful beyond measure. Knowing our constitutional rights is one of them. Section 22 of the Bill of Rights states that every citizen has the right to choose their trade, occupation or profession freely. The practice of a trade, occupation or profession may be regulated by law. SAFM, reminding South Africans everywhere that our constitution wasn't designed for the country, but rather for the people in it. And that's what makes us South Africa's news and information leader. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Lots of sport coming up, particularly uh, this weekend. Uh, it is Super Rugby final weekend. The Lions taking on the Crusaders, the start of the IWF World Championships in London as well. And our next guest, uh, I'm sure, will be keeping a keen eye on both of those events. But I uh, wanted to get him on to talk a little bit of rugby. We'll touch on the athletics uh, to the back end as well. Professor Ross Tucker joins us now. Ross, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm a brand. It's always good to chat to you, especially when it's not about some 
impending scandal, so this makes it sense. <laughs> we haven't finished the chat yet. There might be one, Ross. Don't count your chickens just yet. Let's talk some rugby. You you wrote an article, I believe it was back in 2011, and you, you popped it back onto social media again this week about hometown advantage in Super Rugby. And it was quite interesting looking at some of those stats in, in 2011, and I, I'm guessing it's probably even more skewed towards uh, home hometown advantage now with the, the competition being a, a lot bigger than it was in 2011. But uh, as far as statistics go, it, it bodes well for the Lions this weekend. It does, yeah. This hometown advantage is a well-known thing in sports. I, the reason I wrote those articles in 2011 is because I'd read a couple of books out of the United States where they'd looked at home ground advantage in baseball, football, and basketball. And it exists across all sports. So home teams win between 60 and 65% of matches. Now, why is that? There's, and there's four or five possible reasons. But Super Rugby is one of the most demanding sports competitions in the world because it imposes on players a challenge related to travel that is unique. There's no other sports tournament or sports events in the world that has teams traveling as much as Super Rugby teams have to do. So, so travel is a big component of home ground advantage. And when you have a team like the Crusaders, you have to fly from New Zealand to South Africa. That That's a big deal. And then when you add to that, they're flying into an altitude city in Johannesburg. That adds to the big deal. And plus now you've got the home advantage of playing in the Lions home stadium. So when you add up all those factors, it, it makes a big, big difference, home ground advantage, in Super Rugby particularly. I mean, if you look at last year, just as an example of that, that travel factor, uh, the Lions, uh, I mean, the reason they ended up having to travel uh, for their semi-final was uh, because they decided to leave a lot of their top players at home uh, on their trip to Argentina. They ended up losing that match, and that cost them at the end of the day the, the semi-final, they, which they, they won. They had to come home for the final, and that travel really, really did, I think, uh, at the end of the day, cost them. But it's uh, the, the shoes on the other foot this, this year with regards to the Crusaders coming here, you, you touched on altitude. Playing at Johannesburg, we've seen it not just in Super Rugby, but uh, in, in lots of sporting codes, and, and not just international teams, but teams moving from the coast uh, up north, that, that playing at altitude in Johannesburg makes a huge, huge difference. It does, but it's difficult to quantify. So it's no one has ever, and obviously you can't, because the results that you see on a scoreboard after 80 minutes of a rugby match or 90 minutes of a soccer match, that scoreboard result is is a pretty complex outcome, right? So how can you say altitude is worth seven points? It's, it, you can't. But, but there's no doubt in my mind that playing at altitude, for someone who is a sea-level native, and all the New Zealand sides are, as those players don't go to 2,000 metres or 1,600 metres unless they're in Johannesburg or on holiday in the Alps or something. But the, but the, 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 the altitude makes a fundamental difference. And we know physiologically that for every 100 metres you go up, you lose about one percent of your capacity, and that, that's that's a big deal. <laughs> and so, so it's it's difficult to play at a high intensity in a rugby match for eighty minutes. And again, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, look at the Hurricanes last week, look at the Sharks the week before. They they're good in the first half, but something changes in the second. Is that altitude? It could be. It could be tactics. Perhaps the perhaps the Lions are able to make adjustments at half time and they and they come out better in the second half, but altitude is definitely a factor. And if you if you go into a match and you pretend that it's not, then by sixty minutes you will be uh, severely reminded of your mistake. <laughs> 
Ross, I wanted to ask you, I mean, when, when does it kick in? I mean, anybody who's, who lives at the coast and is running, and this happened to me just a few weeks ago, I was up in Johannesburg and, and did a couple of runs up there and, and really struggled. It, it almost feels like you're breathing through a straw. But in an 80-minute rugby match, when does it catch up to you? Is it from the start? Does it, does it happen and then it's just a cumulative effect? Or does it really hit home in the last sort of quarter of the match? It, it's a good question. Um, the, the effect builds over time because rugby is, is not as, rugby is different from running for an hour and a half constantly. So it's not like running a half marathon where the effect is constant throughout and you just have to slow down. Rugby is about making 20 meter sprints, tackling, being involved in high intensity contact. Then you get 40 seconds off, then you do 20 seconds again and so on and so on. So, so the fact that you've got these periods of intensity followed by rest allow you to recover, but every single recovery gets slightly worse. And eventually, you get to a point where you, you reach what feels like failure. So the nearest thing for sea level listeners <laughs> to this is if you go into the gym and you, you try and lift heavy weights, you can lift 10 pounds, no problem. Take a break. And then lift an, try and lift another 10, you'll get to 9. Then take a minute off. Lift another try for 10, you'll get to 8. And eventually, you won't be able to lift at all, if that makes any sense. So the, the effect is cumulative, and eventually you just cannot lift the intensity any longer. So so that's why I think you find a lot of times teams will come out for 50 minutes, they'll be competitive, and then eventually they just drop off because they, 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 they're just 10% off where they were at the start of the match, and that's enough. Well, let's hope uh, that does happen to the Crusaders. Uh, I think all South African rugby fans are hoping for a Lions victory this weekend. Ross, let's just uh, shift our focus, if we can, to the World Champs, the IWF World Championships that get underway uh, later on this week in London. Uh, team South Africa, there's been a lot of controversy from a, from a team selection point of view, and I know there was an article in uh, The Citizen this week uh, about Athletic South Africa punishing uh, runners or athletes for, for running too fast from a, a South African perspective. Uh, ludicrous that, uh, again, we're talking about selection, who should go and who shouldn't go. Surely there should be a, a benchmark. This is the time or the distance you hit, and if you do it, you get to go. Well, <laughs> there is a benchmark. So there, there, <laughs> the, the, problem is, the problem is that there are two benchmarks. So the International Athletics Federation, who run the event, they've got a benchmark. And then Athletics South Africa created their own benchmark, which is usually, but not always, slightly more difficult. So, for example... Uh, a 100-meter sprinter has to run 10.13 to get in via the IAAS mark and 10, I think, 02 to get in via Athletic South Africa's mark. So the result of this is that you're going to have athletes caught in the middle. They will have achieved one target and not the other. And what Athletic South Africa has done to mess up is that they have selected some of those athletes and not others. And so... They set benchmarks and then managed somehow to act in an arbitrary way, even though they have benchmarks. Now, that, that, that to me, this is a fundamental problem in the way they've applied the benchmarks. So, conceptually, it seems that they've done something that can be defended. Now, you can defend having more stringent qualifying standards, but then you just have to be uniform in how you apply those, and they haven't. And so the result of that is that you've got athletes who are in the same boat qualifying-wise, but some of them are on the plane and others are on the couch. It's, it's crazy. 
Yeah, absolutely. We spoke about it at length last week, and I'm going to put the invitation out there once again. We'd love to speak to somebody from Athletics South Africa about it. They keep declining our, in, our request for interviews, which uh, in itself says a lot, but uh, the door is open. We'd love to get you on to talk about those selections. But, Ross, uh, from a South African point of view, we do at least have some great athletes going. And uh, in, in your mind, what are, what are some of the events that we really need to look out for that you think are, I mean, you can never say we shoe in for medals, but we, we've got a very good chance of, of picking up some silverware. Uh, yeah, this is going to be, I think, unless it's disastrously unlucky for many, this is going to be our best world champs ever. But just on that, before I get onto specifics, one of the big problems we've got is what you just alluded to, is that there's no accountability of ASA. And what will happen is that we will go to London now, our athletes, and I can see us winning four gold medals and possibly two others. So we'll come back with six medals, four golds, and there'll be so much backslapping and congratulations that those same officials who messed up the, the, the selection will get away with it and congratulate themselves for a job well done. And that's the, the problem. We never fix the issues, right? Yeah. So who are the four medals? Uh, Wade for Nikak and Castus and Nenya in the, in the four and the eight, respectively. I know you said there's no such thing as a certainty, but you could almost mortgage your house on those two. Um, it, it, I don't think that there are more certain medals at the entire championships, in fact, than Wade in the 400 and Castor in the 800. It's never 100%, but they're close, 99% certainties, I think. Uh, Wade in the 200, I think, will win that. Um, his biggest challenge will be fatigue because it'll be he has to run six races inside the, the 10 days, and that's difficult to do. So if he can overcome that, I, I see him winning the 200. And then Luva Manyonga in the long jump is 25 centimeters or something better than the next best guy this year, and that's massive. So if he's anything close to the level he's been at for the first six months of this year, he's winning gold as well. So that's that's four golds. That I, I would be surprised if we don't win at least three, and I fully expect four. And then just shifting sport once again, uh, I didn't tell you we were going to be chatting about this, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Uh, the recent FINA World uh, champs with uh, just a couple of medals. Disappointing, to say the least, from a South African swimming perspective. Yeah, and you know, the, the, dis- the disappointing thing there, you can handle two medals. Because you can say, okay, Chad, bad race in the, in the 100 free F and the 100 fly. That, that can happen. Learn from it, take it forward. Maybe there was some extenuating set, whatever the case is. You can take that. For me, the big problem is that four or five years ago, when Chad and Cameron emerged as world stars in, in swimming, they were the only two that we had. They're still the only two that we've got. So that, that's the problem, is, is you can handle two medals as long as you're getting five or six other swimmers into finals, fifth place, sixth place. Because if you've got young swimmers, you are three years from the Olympic Games, you're going to turn one or two of those into the next Chad and the next Cameron. But what we've what we've got is the same guys winning medals this year as we're winning medals in 2012 and nobody else to take their place. And that is, for me, a, a, a big problem. So I think that the these recent Swimming World Champs should have set alarm bells ringing. Well, I think the alarm bells should have been ringing two years ago, but now they should be deafening. We, we mentioned uh, the uh, bungling by the administrators in athletics. Is it uh, another case of this when it, when it comes to South African swimming? I, I don't know enough about it, so it would be it would be unfair of me to comment on how they have managed the development of the sport. You know, you, you probably know a little bit more, but 
there have been some issues. Um, recall, I think it was a year, perhaps two years ago, that our national championships had to be curtailed because of the condition of the pool. So there's, there's something going on there, but but we we really should have been able to turn Chad and Cameron's success into a next generation of success, you know. And and and, and you always say that you say, okay, when you get one great athlete, they should be the catalyst for the next great athlete because now you can put them together and you can have one inspire the next. That's why South Africa has historically produced 800 meter runners because Sepeng was the first, then Mulawzi came along. Okay, that that. That well has also dried up, but you see, you see it happening in sprinting right now. You had mm. no five, sub ten second guys, now there are five, and so success is contagious. And when success fails to be contagious, which is the case in swimming, then you have to ask questions of how that success was being leveraged. Because Cameron and Chad are both homegrown swimmers, so they are here in this country, and for some reason, the, no one has managed to capitalise on them. And I think you'll find that it boils down to how well was their coach supported in order to expand his group of swimmers. Yeah, interesting indeed. So we see little pockets of excellence. You talk about coaches and things they're doing well. Uh, a great example of that is uh, Roger Barrow with uh, the South African Rowers. But uh, I think this conversation gone for hours. Ross Tucker, I know you've got uh, places to be, but thanks for your time once again this evening. Much appreciated. We look forward to, to, to catching up soon. Enjoy the athletics, and uh, hopefully you're right with those medals. It should be exciting. Yeah, let's let's see how it goes. It's going to be, I think, a very good world champs. Big, big, uh, big crowds, big attendance, well run, so... Enjoy the next 10 days. They say I'm black. Others are white and some are colored. But hashtag Kava. Yet we are all green. SABC TV licenses would like to thank all of you South Africans who pay your TV licenses electronically. Hashtag Kava. Because of you, we reduce pollution and save trees while you enjoy the convenience of paying for your TV license anywhere, anytime. SABC TV licenses. Hashtag made possible by you. SAFM brings you live, interactive, topical news from current affairs, global warming debates, women's issues, to interviews with top literary connoisseurs. To join our conversations, visit our website on safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader, and uh, it's almost time for the Global T20 Challenge. It is fast approaching, and a big announcement made today uh, in Bloemfontein. Uh, Mr. Sushil Kumar, uh, the owner of the team, uh, and uh, dignitaries announcing that uh, Alan Donald's going to be joining uh, the team as the bowling coach. We're joined now by the former protier. Uh, Alan, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a very productive two days. Um, it's been wonderful to listen to Sushil and his team, and, and, and more, you know, more, more or less about their future in in the ten years that they want to, you know, invest their, their money here. And uh, you know, I think it was it was really um, well mind-boggling what they 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 have and uh, uh, what they've got planned, especially from our youth point of view, and making Bloemfontein into a real sports city. And, and that's not just, just cricket. He wants the track, uh, involves the football, the rugby, 
um, you know, in, 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 in lots of ways, but also concentrate very much on the youth, which is, which is really fantastic, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work ahead. Absolutely. Great. For you, uh, you started your, your cricket career in, in the Free State. Uh, you spent lots of time in Virginia, but obviously uh, when uh, the Free State's uh, cricket team moved to, to Bloemfontein, you spent lots of time there. Nice to be back. Yes, it certainly is. It's, um, you know, every time, I haven't been back in about six months, but every time you come back, you feel like you were here yesterday. But uh, <laughs> it's, um, no, it's, it's always nice, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's always been a, a friendly city. It's, uh, that, that will never change, and I think that's, that's one of the things that really has caught the owner's attention, is the friendliness of the people in Bloom and, and the cooperation of, of, of everyone around in the last couple of days that's really come in and, and made their voice heard, you know. So they, they, they're extremely happy with what they've heard and that we'll be leaving our shores tomorrow. And, um, and then, yes, that, then I know it's just a matter of getting a, a team together and, and hopefully the draft system will, will favor us. And, um, but, but yeah, a lot of work to be done from now on in. Alan, let's talk about some of the, the plans. And you talk from a youth development. I mean, that's been the perennial problem with, with Bloemfontein over the years. And it's like you say, it's not just cricket. And rugby's got a massive problem where there's some great uh, youngsters coming through. There's some fantastic schools there, but they seem to get snapped up by the various provinces and unions. Uh, do you think this is going to curtail that to an extent? Well, definitely. I think I think the the, the one thing that was laid on the table, and and, and it was the focus on, on, on the seventeen cricket, and uh, and you know, for them, the owners saying that that they really want to to stamp their authority on it, and they 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 really concentrate. For them, the the, the future is the kids. They seeing developing young young South Africans into playing for South Africa in the new future. Yes, the the T Twenty Global League, and the the the. The product of what the IPL has done for young players and where players are now in terms of where it started 10 years ago, it, it's phenomenal what it's done. And that, that's the same thing South African cricket really needs, and especially Bloemfontein. Bloemfontein has been always been on that sort of map where it's got, as you said, and you know, we've got fantastic schools, but our kids keep disappearing. And, um, you know, to other provinces or snapped up and got one of the best breeding schools for, for rugby in, in, in the land, and, and of course those kids just get snapped up and, and, and gone. So, but I think from a cricket point of view, their focus is really going to be on a, on a um, under, under 17 tournament that they want to host here, and they want to invite various countries like in the West Indies, Japan, Hong Kong, India, um, to come and partake in the under 17 tournament. So. That's pretty much in the pipeline now. You know, it's been talked about, and that will be followed through by them in due course with the help of Free State Cricket. Um, so I, I think that is just, you know, they, they've made it very clear in that uh, press conference that this is not just a global league. It's once the global league is finished, their work really starts developing young cricketers um, in Bloemfontein. So that, that's really refreshing, and I think that. Um, it's, it was well received by pretty much everyone today. Alan, you've been involved with the, the IPL over the years as well, and, and you talk about the, the youngsters coming through. Has a tournament like the IPL, in your opinion, yielded massive results for Indian cricket, and, and are we going to see the same <coughs> with South African cricket 10 years from now, as you say? Well, that's, that's the path we're on right now, and that's so needed. It really is, and I think um, the move from CSA, um, I know they've been in what's that a couple of years in talking to, to various people to get this off the ground now. Um 
and I've seen it firsthand. You know, I saw a, a great example was was Vera Coley. I saw Vera Coley in 2013. I thought he was a slumpy, arrogant little kid who can play a bit, but um, there's too much that goes wrong for him, you know. And he has changed unbelievably uh, since then. And he's he, he's, a, he's an absolute champion. He's going to be a record breaker. He's gonna, he is already one of the legends of Indian cricket. And he's got so much cricket left in him. So that's what we want to see. We want to see youngsters come from nowhere and announce themselves. And this is the great... And this this platform is a great learning school for everyone to develop because in the IPL you grow quicker, you understand quicker, and you fast track yourself quicker. And and also you you learn to become a leader in your own role. And if you fall behind, you fall behind, and you, you know the game will sort you out. But if you really want to learn and you really want it so badly, then this is the way to go because this is the pressure. There's no there's no better pressure cooker than 2020 cricket, and and you find so much about. Find out so much about yourself and, and your teammates and, and to becoming a better person and a better cricketer very quickly. Alan, is T20 cricket, are we at risk of T20 cricket cannibalizing itself as a sport, if, if you understand what I'm saying? If you look at the longer mm. formats, the 50 over and the test cricket, is, it, is, there, is, is there room for another T20 competition? That's, that's probably what I want to, want to ask. And, and, and are we risking 50 over cricket at, uh, at the expense of it? So much talk going around, you know, um, everywhere you move, and I've spent the last three months in the UK, and you move around uh, international cricketers and also county cricketers, and county cricketers will say to you, you know, why why are we still playing test cricket? And why are we still playing 50-over cricket? You know, it's amazing the mind shift in terms of what these guys now believe in, which is, which is still, you know, the ICC has got to hold on to test cricket for me. Test cricket and the test championship that they want to say are going to bring in now is going to be the defining moment for a lot of cricketers, you know. So there's something to play for in a test championship that's starting, I think, next year or a couple of years from now. Um, but yes, it, 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 there's no doubt. There's no doubt that T20 cricket is, as you use that word, cannibalizing the sport and, um, um, or potentially can, um, already have. Who knows? So, um, it's, a uh, it's the way of the world at the moment, and um, and it it brings people in, it brings people together. It, it, kids want to play it. it. Kids, the frightening thing about this all is that kids talk about this all the time. You know, I want to be like AB. I want to play for, I want to play for Royal Challengers Bangalore. You know, they're not saying, you know, one day I want to, I want to be a Dale Stane and take 400 Test wickets. You know, that that's a bit of a scary stuff. That uh, that when you walk around and, you, and, you, and you're dealing with young kids, you think, wow. You know, their thinking is completely, I want to play the shortest format of the game because that's where the money is. So, I, I, but I, I just think in terms of what we need now is something that we can challenge the big bash with. And, and I believe that this format for the next 10 years will show us if we can, even the next five years, if we can do that. So, but I, I really believe we've got the right product and it will stand us in good stead. Shifting focus quickly to, to test crickets. Uh, the Proteas losing the third test yesterday at the Oval. A disappointing performance in that third one. Uh, got a win in Trent Bridge to, to level the series. Your thoughts on the series so far? Gosh, it seems like when the team bats first, you lose. And, um, you know, uh, you know, you're in England have batted first in the first test match and at Lords and won comfortably. Um, then the other way around for South Africa, Trent Bridge, and this time around for England. So, Look, there's, 
there's lots of work to be done. I feel sorry for, uh, you know, that that top order has been absolutely tested against the best in the world. Heino Kuhn, is, is, I believe, has made his, his, his test debut. He's deserved it. But I honestly feel, I really feel that to ask him to open the batting against two of the best in the world, I think that's a bit of a harsh call. I really do, you know. And I, I just hope that it's, it doesn't backfire on him now that he doesn't play. And, and when he comes back, his name is not being seen again in in that test lineup. So, um, but it's it's time to front up. It's time for, for as as we always say, it's time for the big boys to, to come and show what they're really made of, and that's the senior players. And again, the the, the little the little nugget that uh, Dean Algariz has shown exactly that. You know, made an amazing hundred again. And but um, if this is the way that the test series has been played, we should we should comfortably win then. Um, <laughs> you know, which, uh, South Africa just, you know, it just needs a bit of luck and, uh, because no team in this test series so far has made to be struggled, has made to struggle so far. There's no, it's always been an easy one, a very defining one, not a close one. We haven't seen one yet. It's either one or the other. So yes, South Africa got a lot of soul searching to do and, um, and, uh, that, that, I just think that top five, that top five, six batters, they, they, it's time for them to really just show some, some real, guts and glory now and, and, and make it count first time if we have to bat first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dean Algar's performance, uh, fantastic. They, they breed them tough in Valcom, don't they, Alan? Well, it's amazing. The young kid that <laughs> came to us, uh, um, this ruggedy little thing, and um, played for the amateur team, and I was just impressed, impressed with him from day one. I really was. Uh, I think he's just, uh, just, watch a, just uh, such a natural... Um, he knows he's not pretty to watch. He makes it work because he's such a mentally tough little bugger, you know. So, and uh, but yes, yeah, he'll, he'll tell you he does come from Valcom and he's hard. <laughs> <laughs> there must be something in the water. Alan Donald, thank you very much for your time this evening. Uh, best of luck in your new role, and we look forward to to seeing sport in the free state, not just cricket, growing from strength to strength because of this. Thank you very much. We all look forward to a very exciting times ahead. Should be great fun. SAFM Sports Wrap. And that's about it for this evening's show. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to my two guests tonight as well. I think I could have chatted to both of them all evening. Uh, two wonderful gentlemen, and uh, really know their stuff as well. Professor Ross Tucker and Alan Donald, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm back again tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. Uh, we'll have more sport for you tomorrow morning with Janet Whitson on AM Live. Make sure you tune in there. If you have any comments or questions, suggestions, you can be in touch. All you need to do is email sport at safm.co.za. You can also touch base on social media with me personally. My accounts uh, across the board at Big Brad Brown is where you'll find me, or you can reach out uh, via SAFM Radio uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the work. So uh, we look forward to chatting to you there. Coming up on the other side of your 7 o'clock news, with Greg Host tonight. It is the Talk Shop with Naledi Malo. And uh, for myself and my producer, Javon Tetti, this evening, thank you so much for listening. It is 7 o'clock and time for your news.